Welcome to Ex Libris On Air and the stories behind the stories of today's literature and their authors. A presentation of Ex Libris Publishing, host Steve Jorgensen connects with a writer to share the vision and inspiration behind their works. Insightful, informative, and always entertaining, please welcome host Steve Jorgensen and this week's edition of Ex Libris On Air. The title of the book, Midbar, and the author is Linny Harris, and her daughter, Nikki, joins us, along with a close friend of the family, Cindy Swenson. Hello, Nikki. Hi. Good to great see to you. Great to have We're you talking. with us. And hello, Cindy. Hello. Well, great to have both of you here. Uh, just for everyone's information, uh, Linny Harris passed away back in 2008, and her daughter, Nikki Moline, and the close friend, Cindy Swenson, were determined to get this book published. Right, ladies? Yes, along with my brother and sister, Annie and Shane. So it's been a family project. Of course, this book, you wouldn't know by the title, Midbar, and we'll find out what that means in a moment, but uh, it's about the life of Bathsheba, wife of King David and mother of King Solomon. Of course, Midbar captures and portrays the woman who publicly withstood the scandal of adultery to become the mother of the next king of Israel, Solomon. So, uh, fascinating story, obviously. A lot of folks wonder how it all happened. Your mother, what? how did she put this story together, Nikki? Well, she did about 20 years of research, and... So everything in there is re- reference to basically what it actually would be like. There's a lot of reference or lots of research over 20 years that she put into it. And I don't, she just put it, she made it into a beautiful love story. What, but it's all really honest and like you can relate to it very clearly. It puts a little twist on it that makes you just draws you into the story. So obviously she went into detail because it's a good-sized book. How many pages is it? Well, they broke it into three books. So there's Midbar 1, Midbar 2, and Midbar 3. Yeah, because that book was so big that they could only print it up into three different books. Otherwise, it'd be too big. And they didn't think people would pull it off the shelf in that size. (laughs) So Midbar 1... We're talking about here, and when's Midbar two and three going to come out? They're already available. They figured it'd just be easier for people to get their hands on them as they were ready to. Who would like to talk about the title? Why the title Midbar? I think Cindy can answer that question. Well, for Lenny, her life was rough. She had gone through a lot of rough times. And to her, the Midbar, as known in the Bible, was a an area of terror, a place of darkest distress. And she just thought that with the title and what her life was, people could relate to it because she made it out of it. So uh, your mom, Nikki uh, Linny Harris, could really identify with this whole storyline? Yeah, a lot of her life is portrayed in this book. And it's pretty amazing. I 
it just makes it really real. Like there's a whole real side to this Bathsheba that I'd never noticed before. And a lot of it is fiction, but a lot of it is based on truth. So it, make, it just makes it very good for a good, good reading. Are there many books about Bathsheba like like this one? No, I don't believe so. No, there aren't very many out there. And that was one of the reasons she dealt with her, because there weren't many out there. Mm-hmm. Obviously, a lot of questions about Bathsheba, a lot of questions about King David, why he did that, and, uh, you know, who was the one who really brought this about? Was it just the king and his uh, lustful desire? Or, you know, I've often wondered if it was uh, also part on Bathsheba herself that she wanted to lure the king because certainly she must have known him because of the association uh, that her, her husband had with the king. Yes, her husband and her grandfather both dealt with the king regularly. So we believe so also that she had. She had something to do with it, yes. Uh, yeah. So where does, where does the story start? Uh, you know, what's the beginning of the story? It starts in her childhood. She was like, I think, eight years old. And it just goes all the way up through to her age, 60, I believe. So in this first book, this uh, Midbar One, do we have the encounter in, in, the, in the first book? No. Midbar One is basically her childhood and her first marriage and kind of leading into her moving to Jerusalem and meeting him. And what other characters provide, uh, you know, this interesting support for this incredible theme? I'd say a big part of it would be the other men that she encountered in her life from what I gathered out of it. Yeah, and her father. Yeah, it was basically her and the men in her life. And why did your mom think she had so many men in her life? I think that that part of that was just because a lot of them are just encounters. They're not like deep relationships of men, but just people that made her character the way that she was. And she just drew from that and became who she became because of all these people that she encountered. And most of them were men in a different way. I don't know. Kind of brings it back to today's world, though, and you can really, like, if you take out all the history of it and stuff, you could completely feel like this could happen to you today. So how did she portray Bathsheba? Was she had that uh, kind of way about her where she literally was trying to seduce men or was that just a, a side of her because she just... Uh, wanted to be close to people, and she really didn't want to be any kind of uh, have any kind of affairs or anything. How did she portray her? She portrayed her as I mean, she was beautiful and very down to earth, and the men were attracted to her more so than she was to them. Mm-hmm. She just related to the men better. So human nature is human nature, no matter what. Uh, 
what time of in history yes and that's what she was trying to get across yeah so did she, so did she have a did she have a, a really solid relationship with uriah her husband I don't know. No, it was an abusive relationship, according to the way she portrayed it. An abusive relationship. So uh, why did she stay in that relationship? Because she didn't believe in leaving. She, When you marry, you marry forever. Much like women go through today with the same yes. problem, the same uh, terrible terrible trauma that often women go through in that kind of a situation. Yes. You don't want to admit that it's happening to you. Now, who did she confide in? Was her uh, close family or friends? Uh, who in the story was her confidants? She had a good friend. It was actually a slave girl was pretty much the only one she really confided in. She, I mean, Lenny was a very private person. She didn't confide in very many people. And she brought that through in her book. So it takes us through, of course, the, the affair. And, and, of course, that child died in childbirth. But then Solomon. Solomon, uh, that whole story of... Which is amazing when you think about it, uh, that uh, where King Solomon, who became one of the greatest of all, came from two people that were thrown together in this uh, literally not a, a, didn't seem like a, a, a type of relationship that God would have brought them together. Correct. And Solomon wasn't his firstborn son, so he should never have been made king, but it just worked that way. So King David is much, does the books, the, the series here, these three books, go into details about him? Yes, it does. The Midbar 2 is basically on her life and King David. Midbar 3 is more on her life with King Solomon. So how did she deal with King David, with all of his other wives and concubines? How, how did that all work? She didn't like it. She had a lot of um, animosity, I guess, from them because she was his favorite. She was basically his last wife. I believe he had one other when he was dying, but he never consummated that one so he she was never really his wife how did your mother feel about the whole project once she was done you know i mean i know you finished it but she had it all written i mean how how did she feel about all of this which took her a long time to accomplish she's extremely excited and worried about how the world would accept it so but. has there been much feedback well, no, we haven't heard any feedback yet. Nope, it's all pretty new still. Real new. It hasn't really gotten out there. Now, is there a, a website uh, that people can find more information about it, or how how does that work? Yes, there is a website, midbartrilogy.com. 
Uh, it is up and running now. We haven't done a whole lot with it yet. This is fairly new. And the book is available on Amazon.com, Exebris.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and starting to, it's starting to come out. It's just still in the really new stages. And we're really excited. The publisher is Ex Libris. It, well, it sounds like it has the making of a, you know, epic film. I mean, that's what it, you know, all that we've been talking about just briefly here. Sounds like it has the incredible making of some epic film. I completely agree. That would be exciting. So who would play Bathsheba? What do you think? But it's going to be somebody so breathtaking in the way that mom explained us that you can totally understand why all these men, she had all these problems with all these men through her life. And, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and why King David completely fell for her. Well, any other closing thoughts that either of you might have to share with us? I'm just really excited to have this headed out the way that it is, and we really appreciate the interview, and we hope people take interest in it. We just hope people will take time to read it and enjoy it as much as we have. Title of the book, Midbar, and we've been talking with Nicole Moline, the author's daughter. The author is Lenny Harris, and also a close family friend who helped on this big project, Cindy Swenson. Thank you so much for being with us on Ex Libris On Air. Thank you for having us. Yes, thank you very much. Libris returns after these short messages. Hi everybody, this is Pete Six of Beatles and Beyond. Why don't we all come together and hear some of the tracks off the latest Beatles release on this radio station. Why don't you look up the schedules on this radio station and join me and Beatles listeners everywhere to hear the latest releases from the Beatles on Beatles and Beyond with Pete Dix. Connect with Juliana and connect with what lies beneath. Friday afternoons at 4, 3 central on toginet.com. Juliana is a marriage, family, and child therapist who wants people to connect. Connect with what lies beneath, those truths and answers. And through her counseling practice, she has helped others find their personal power and fulfill their dreams. And she wants to do the same for you. Here on Connect with Juliana, through intimate discussions, intriguing subject matters, and the expertise of her guests. For more on the show and Juliana, check out her webpage, connectwithjulianainmedia.com. Juliana will cover it all. Nothing is off limits. She wants to know what matters to you. Make the connection. Tune into Toginet to connect with Juliana to find out the facts that could be hidden beneath the surface. Connect with Juliana on Toginet to make a quality connection in your life. Friday afternoons at 4, 3 central on toginet.com.
back to Ex Libris with your host, Steve Jorgensen. Greetings for Steve Jorgensen and for Ex Libris On Air. This is J. Douglas Barker. The title of the book is, Was I a Stranger in My Homeland? Question mark. Has one two lives is another question that's being posed, and our author is Malavi Sivakanesan. Thank you, Malavi, for joining me today. Hi. Thank what, you very much for having me here. And what part of the world are you located in? I actually uh, live in Norway. I'm born and brought up here. Yeah. You are born and brought up in Norway. Your English seems to be superb. How did you, <laughs> how did you come to develop such a great uh, control of the English language? Uh, I actually studied at the International School of Bergen for a very long time, and then I changed to a public school, so I learned my English there. All right. Historically, you don't consider Norway your heart homeland. Am I understanding that correctly? Yes, that's correct. Yeah. And what is the genesis of the title, Was I a Stranger in My Homeland? What do you consider to be your homeland? Well, I actually visited my, even though I was born and brought up here in in Norway, I visited my homeland, or where my parents are originally from, uh, in 2003, when I was only eight years old. And um, there I was, the minute I actually landed there and I got to know the people around me, it just felt so correct, and I felt very homely. And the minute I came back, and when the war started again there, um, and... I was uh, sort of, I was watching the news and I was getting updates from different media and I started questioning myself whether I was a stranger in my own homeland. Uh, So that's where I got the title, but the title was definitely something I, you know, picked out after I finished writing the book. And the country that you visited is a country that we are familiar with as titled Sri Lanka. Is that uh, also correct? That's also correct, yes. And part of that country, at least a section of it, is Tamil Ilam. I understand that's the area of Sri Lanka that your parents were born in and grew up. Yes, Tamil Ilam is actually, um, uh, yeah, that's the part where my parents are born and brought up, where I was visiting as well. Explain your motivation. What gave you the, uh, the impetus to put this book together and to write about your family history and what is referred to by the world in general as a conflict? Uh, I was actually uh, quite involved in the uh, conflict in 2009 when it was at, you know, uh, at a crucial moment. And um, I was, you know, I was taking part in demonstrations and sending, you know, I've sent a couple of letters to, you know, politicians here in Norway. And I tried to do my best. And I was only 14, so there wasn't a whole lot of things I could do. Um, And then when the war, uh, when the Sri Lankan government, they declared the war was over in 2009, May, uh, I got depressed just like, most of the Tamil youngsters around the world, and we really didn't know what to do, and we just felt helpless. And then my dad, he actually came along a couple of months later, and he said, you know what, you guys should really, you can't just give up. You should get back on your feet and, you know, keep fighting, because we have such a luxurious life here, you know, abroad, and there are still Tamil suffering there. And, you know, we are the only hope they have. So, you know, I was thinking outside the box, and I was that's when I came up with an idea, okay, you know what, if demonstrations and letters don't work, then something must, right? So um, I sort of 
just jotted down all my memories I had in Tamil Nadu, and I uh, and then I sort of saw a red, you know, thread going through all the stories. So I put them together, and I just felt that it was something everyone around the world had to, you know, I had to share with them. And the LTTE is an organization that has been struggling or fighting for independence of Tamil Elam. Is that, uh, am I understanding that historically correct? Yes, LTTE is actually a, uh, an organization who has been fighting for the Tamil's, you know, basic rights. You titled the book, I Was a Stranger in My Homeland. Who do you think this book is going to appeal to? Why did you write the book specifically? Yes, I actually wrote this book specifically uh, for youngsters around the world um, because I thought um, that, you know, in, the, for example, their history lessons, they learn about so many different, you know, wars around the world, um, you know, what's happening in Iraq and this and that, but very little about what's happening in Sri Lanka. And I just thought it just felt wrong. So I thought, you know, uh, they should also know about what's happening there because, you know, Tamils are suffering. And that's why I wrote it, you know, especially for youngsters. And I've actually tried to make it, uh, you know, appealing for them as well. I've put in a lot of pictures and shortened everything. Every, You know, I actually sat down and cut out a whole lot of pages and paragraphs and chapters just to make it more interesting. Well, one thing I found interesting about the book, it's only 112 pages, but you do have a lot of great photos in there. Describe the process of writing this book. Did it come easily to you, or did it take a while to put together? Well, um, it was quite easy, and especially uh, my memories, jotting them down wasn't a problem at all, because even though I was only eight years old, I remember everything so clearly that it's actually amazing. Um, so that that wasn't a problem. But when where it was a bit difficult was maybe the part where I, I had to look at everything objectively. And I actually had a mentor called Hollis. So she has been, uh, you know, correcting my work and uh, helping me out with the, you know, the writing process. So she has definitely been a key person to keep me, you know, um, objective and not take sides. Sure. And how long did it actually take you to complete this book? Uh, I actually started writing two years ago, but I've been I've been uh, I've been a bit on and off because you know I've been studying as well. So um, I wrote for about a couple of months, and then I had to take a break for six months, and then you know I started writing again. And what is the underlying story you want readers to take away from from this book? Well, that's something um, every reader should actually. Um, I think there are different messages in the book, and it's up to the reader, to be honest, because I've actually written about the Tamils and the struggle in Sri Lanka, but I've also written about the cultural difference, um, how it is to be born and brought up in a different country, uh, you know, the uh, identity crisis. So I think it's up to the readers what they want to take with them. Even though you're living in Norway, do you feel Norway is your homeland, or do you feel that country of your parents is your homeland? Even though I live in Norway and I was born and brought up here, I definitely feel Tamililim is my homeland, and I'm a Tamil, but uh, Norway would definitely be my second home. I can relate a little bit. My mother was born in Ireland, and although I've never visited there, I have a heart tug toward Ireland right. and the Irish people, so I can relate to that to some degree, okay. and I think a lot of people can. There are many books out there that talk about conflicts in other parts of the world and talk about 
people's attraction to their homelands. How is this book different? What sets it apart from the rest in the crowd? Well, I would say that uh, I have tried to put in a lot of pictures because, you know, as they say, a picture is worth a thousand words. Uh, so I've tried to, even though someone, uh, what I've done is even though someone goes through the uh, book just looking at the pictures and the picture captions, they should understand uh, the content and they should be able to understand my message as well. So that's what I've tried to do. So that's something different. And I've and something else that's different is um, I've sort of written it from a child's point of view. And I don't think a lot of these kind of books have that. So I think those are the main differences. And what time frame, what period of time was this book covering? Yes, I've actually written it from 2003 when I uh, visited my homeland till today, pretty much. And are there three or four words that would describe the story that you've written? I think that, yeah. Yeah, I think homeland culture identity. And what was the most challenging part of putting this book together? And what was the most rewarding in your research? Uh, I think, uh, let me start with the rewarding part. Uh, The most rewarding part was I got to learn so much. And, you know, talking to different people about this, uh, really, you know, I got to educate myself. And um, not the least, I actually uh, enjoyed researching and talking with people and, you know, listening to different stories, what they had to say. And I actually interviewed quite a lot of people. So that was definitely the rewarding part. And the difficult part was uh, it was definitely not the writing. And, yeah, I think the difficult part was I was sort of trying to balance the book with my school. And, yeah, that, yeah, I may have sometimes, you know, concentrated more with my book rather than my studies. Well, shame on you. You know, studies are the most important (laughs) things in life and getting a degree. Definitely. I'm doing well now, so don't worry. Well, congratulations. The title of the book is Was I a Stranger in My Homeland? And our author is Malavi uh, Sivakanesan. I'll get it right. You'll get it right. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining me today. Where do we get copies of this book? Uh, you, can, you can actually get it online on com, or um, I would, uh, there is probably links on my Facebook page or Amazon. Been, you know, Was I a Stranger in My Homeland on Google, and you'll get it. Don't was worry. I a Stranger in My Homeland, that will get it. And uh, don't try to uh, guess on the pronunciation or the spelling of your name, Malavi. Silva yeah, don't do that. Silva Kinesen, thank you. Yeah. Thank you for joining me today. Do. And are you are you planning to write again in the future? I am actually uh, planning to do that. I've started getting ideas for my second book. So, yeah, I think maybe I will start writing it next year. Malavi Sivakanesan, thank you for joining me today. For Ex Libris On thank Air. Thank you very much. For Ex Libris On Air, this is Jay Douglas Barker. Ex Libris returns after these short messages. Join us for Self-Aid Success Stories with Helen Wu, Wednesday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. Helen Wu was born and raised in San Francisco's Chinatown, and after a very difficult upbringing, fighting depression, abuse, and addictions, she finally finds herself genuinely happy inside and out. Helen believes in taking our positive thinking and doing something positive to achieve a positive outcome. She's here to make a positive difference in your life, to be your game changer, your aha moment mentor. She's ready to help both men and women get into a better place. 
Helen Wu is also the author of Self-Aid Success Stories, 25 Success Stories from Successful Entrepreneurs. Inspired by Ellen DeGeneres, Helen wants the world to know that just because we find ourselves in a difficult situation doesn't mean we have to stay there. We can aid ourselves to a better life. So join us for Self-Aid Success Stories with Helen Wu. Wednesday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. Welcome back to Ex Libris with your host, Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, Storytelling. And the author is Dr. Constance Colin Jones. And Dr. Jones joins us now on Ex Libris On Air. Hello, Dr. Jones. Hello, Steve Jorgensen. Well, thank you for being with us. Uh, this is really going to... Uh, stretch our minds and stretch our thinking. This is so different, and we'll find out how different this is because you say storytelling approaches life experiences from a mental and visual reading perspective. Uh, because I guess it's difficult to describe uh, this in its entirety, just talking about it, I think it's going to be better for us to actually take examples of some different chapters. For example, your first chapter is called The Artist, and in the process we'll understand about this mental and visual perspective, uh, these different thematic evolving scenes that address concreted and validated pictorials, as you call it. Um, what what was your purpose in this, Doctor? How, what were you trying to achieve in this kind of a style to get us thinking? Like, for example, you know, that first chapter is called The Artist. The Artist depicts the personal professional life evolvement. And that's depicted for the reader's interest, the reader's visual, mental, um, pictorials as I described it in one area in a response to your question, I try to bring to the, the book itself for the reader a focus upon what actually happens in, in a particular segment of an artist's life. And it went through uh, the European travels, his being identified as a... Um, uh, outstanding stylist, being mentored through professional areas, spending time abroad within varying language and cultures, and bringing all that together to have a very successful future. One of the scenes, the ending scene says, young artist in residency with specialized mentor guided through professional art history lectures, workshops, and art studio classes. His country site travels were established to further develop the artistry's inclusion of the visual, pictorial land, and cultural components. Three-month awarded art portfolio, the approved six-month remainder study stay, was recognized by full scholarship. The young artist's return across the waters would indeed be fruitful. He is looking towards a very bright future based on all of the established experiences abroad within his area of specialization, which is art. Now, uh, Dr. Jones, um, tell us a little bit about your background and, and how this book came about. 
had, for a number of years, taught at the college-university level. I have been published since the mid-1980s in educational research and statistics, and then I continued in the College of Communications, and that was a given um, descriptive within presentation and theory development and implementation. And based on my own personal and professional studies, the approach used during that um, development time was collections. So I decided to write in collections. And then as I reached uh, the senior citizen age category, I decided to really profess uh, my personal views within certain areas. Given, again, my professional English language, literature, and linguistic studies, and then, of course, teaching writing at the college-university level. So it just, there was just evolvement through my life years and personal professional years. And this is how I became um, targeted on writing, such as I did within storytelling, recaps, and trying to keep the reader audience interested in what life happenings are about in certain professions. Well, again, it's such a unique approach because as I look again at this first chapter called The Artist, and I'm just going to read a couple of these, of, of what you have here, uh, uh, because it just creates uh, images, it creates a feeling, it's very, very different. And here, here, let me read just a little bit. The Artist. The fine brush, the artist's pen, warm season abroad, European apartment studio, expansive room area, double height shuttered windows, 10 foot plus, whitewashed wooden beam ceilings and walls. I mean, I, I'm getting a sense that I'm in this artist studio and you're creating all these pictures for me. It's, it's really, it's really, uh, yeah, it's, it's a... Uh, it's a, a thinking experience with you in a very unique way because obviously it's not uh, regular prose. Correct. So, as you as you, how did you choose the different uh, chapters? I mean, we go from the artist to the businesswoman, and then, of course, the the list. Uh, how many different uh, chapters are there in the book? Twenty. 20. 20. So you had to select 20, 20 different themes, uh, content. Uh, for we, for we, for example, we go then on to something called the capturer. <laughs> what? <laughs> that? What is the capturer? The capture. Let me just identify this story a bit, and with almost to the point of being very sad and very dramatic. It took um, a, a J.D., a Drift Doctorate, to address the issues with his family. He was contacted by European family, business family abroad. And what they did, and oh dear, sociolinguistic expression, they just over, well, overwhelmed the USA family with their entrepreneurships. And this USA family was not, they were societally 
funded family. They based their development on foundations. So they really were not business entrepreneurship savvy. And the older gentleman, uh, the head of the family, was wheelchaired. He was anticipating uh, such um, overwhelming uh, drama within the changes. They drew in his children, his daughters and the sons and the grandchildren, and he was set within a uh, an iron-gated mountainside. It was a, an extravaganza of... Um, of a nestling and cocooning within a um, somewhat of a uh, luxurious castle-style home. And and having such a comfortable lifestyle and being brought to the present day, um, almost an impactful, um, forced development of the business setting for himself and his family, it, it took... Um, Quite a, um, it, it took a while for the gentleman to really, and even the children to understand, the grandchildren to understand what was actually happening. And if you would allow me just to read the final passage here, this is what Please. actually transpired. The how to into business ownership workings would have to be overseen as rapidly as possible. This would be in order not to lose continuity throughout worldwide country to country sites progressive and intentional movement, no stoppage for even a quick thought. Now to the order at hand, with no backing other than limited foundation funds, perhaps even real estate sale of present residential property, or full family members residing within the sole estate site. So that what they had to do was coalesce into this newness, is over again, using that, the third time I use this word, overwhelming almost like a shock um, for the family. So that was, you know, the, the capture just in title, it, it gave, a, again, a feeling for what uh, was going to happen. They had to capture the moment. It was not a very easy moment, not a moment in fluidity. It was a shock into the business world for them. They had to capture everything that happen to them into just one, again, one involvement. And that itself um, was um, quite, uh, again, um, overwhelming for the family as I depicted the story. And that's just what took place through this captures um, pictorial. Are we going to go on to some others, Steve? Please, uh, what others would you like to just to share with us? We have the, the musician, the psychologist, all is fair in love and war. We have the Peter Principle. Would you like to choose one of those? All right. Let me choose the next one on the list, which is musician. This particular fellow was Juilliard schooled. And from Juilliard, and he was a bachelor and master of music, and he thought that from Juilliard degrees, he would be so well-known and positioned throughout the U.S. mainland and internationally that he would be so well-recognized, he wouldn't have to worry about anything for the rest of his life. So what Juilliard did for him, it gave him again, recognizing Juilliard, the Bachelor's and the Master's in Music Theory and Implementation. So the musicians 
scenario was gig to gig. Private city clubs, nighttime gigs, jazz music, sophisticated weekend crowds, the din noise level, elbow-to-elbow sitting table figures, uh, bar stools to shadow standing, liquor flowing tabs, service tabs, rapid move of gliding appetizer platters, revolving door-to-door crowd entering and exiting. And that was night after night after night and sight to sight. And again, he was musically trained with a bachelor's and master's in music theory, Juilliard. He had his professional music union card. He had USA and Worldwide Eve connections after connections. But he really was seeking out an option of an orchestra seat. He was seeking out um, going through audience interview upon interview. Uh, they rated competitive best in his uh, interviews. And he, year after year, he endeavored um, a recognized orchestra seat. And what happened year after year is he was tiring out. And the visual scenario here was a phone call came in, and he was about ready for any type of change. So the phone call message was recorded. And a major USA City musical recording production company, of course, had seen his resume, and he had his resume all over. The job contract over was a scout director with office, studio staff, and travel coverage. Excellent five to six numbers in salary, dependent upon brought-in scouting contracts. After he listened to this, recorded message, he made a final decision that he was tired from gig to gig, and he was going to go on the scouting production end, and he decided to take the job. And that, uh, that's the musician story. Well, as I said from the very, very start, extremely unique, extremely uh, mind-expanding, because all of the things that you are sharing with us just get you to to see and feel and think in a much different way and in a different style, much very unique style. I don't think I've ever seen anything and read anything like it. And it's titled Storytelling, and we've been listening to the author, Dr. Constance Colin Jones. Uh, Dr. Jones, tell us how to get your book. My book can be sought through Ex Librius. Uh, we have websites through Ex Librius Publication Company. And all the, the readers have to do is go right on to the line with Ex Liberus and identify the author, and it will bring up storytelling. It may be purchased in hardcover for $24.99. It may be purchased in softcover for $14.99. And it may be purchased online for reading online, and I believe it's $9.99. So it's easily purchased on the line through Ex Libris. Thank you so much, Dr. Jones, for being with us on Ex Libris On Air. Thank you, sir. Join Steve Jorgensen next week at the same time as he explores the passion and the inspiration behind the works of today's authors. Right here on Ex Libris On Air.